Hi, this is Rob Seiden of Seiden Sidebar, formerly known as Seiden Side Talk. Going forward, we're using Seiden Sidebar because we heard you, you asked us to make that change, and we listened. So please enjoy. I'm Rob Seiden, and this is Seiden Sidebar. The world can be a confusing and complex place, and it's very difficult to understand how to navigate it. But when you come here to this podcast, that's going to end because we're going to give you insights, inspiration, ideas, and mechanisms to help you navigate the complexities of this world. So please join us because there's going to be topical interviews with fascinating people, and I guarantee you're going to enjoy it and learn something and come back for more. Thank you. This is Seiden Side Talk, and I'm your host, Rob Seiden. I'm here to talk to you about real law and beyond the law in a podcast series that started this year. This is our third episode, and we're very honored to have with us today Richard Frankel. Richard is a retired FBI official who's worked on some of the most notorious cases in the history of the FBI and is now a private sector uh, lawyer who works on cases involving various frauds and scams and cyber crimes around the world. We're very honored to have you here today, Rich. Thanks, Rob. So we're going to talk today with Rich about a few things, and uh, this is consistent with this series uh, of Beyond the Law, and this particular uh, episode is going to be Beyond the Courtroom, because we're going to be discussing with Richard some issues that are very prevalent in society today in America and around the world, and hopefully you in the audience will be able to have a takeaway that can help you in your life. So, uh, as some of you may know, recently there was an arrest in a long-standing investigation, uh, what they call the Gilgo Beach murders of women who were murdered and then uh, buried uh, out in Long Island, New York, uh, that had not been solved for many, many years. Richard is one of the uh, FBI agents who actually worked on that case while he was with the Bureau and subsequently has been uh, one of the people uh, that the media has relied on to inform the public as to the significance of the results of the most recent arrest. So, Richard, can you just give us uh, maybe an update on where we are with this arrest and and what your thoughts are? Sure. Yeah, I you know, I worked on it when I uh, uh, was with the FBI. I actually was the special agent in charge of the FBI's New York Office Criminal Division. So all the criminal cases were under me, but Gilgo was a major one that was under us. Um, and at that time, you know, we were having some issues with the Suffolk County law enforcement apparatus out there. I, Can I ask you, yep. when you say it was a major case, a significant case at the time, wh- why is that? Well, it, 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 just so you know, it actually was not a major case classified by the FBI because it wasn't a federal case. But it was a major case because of, you know, it being in Long Island, uh, it, what, it was believed to be a serial killer. There were at least 10 bodies discovered at the time, and there was no idea as to whether it was one uh, murder, murderer, two murderers, three mur- they, they had no idea. So um, basically what we had was a killing field in Gilgo Beach. And, and I know you know it, Rob, but that area is down off of um, uh, Ocean Parkway. Uh, it's right to the edge of the town or the village of Gilgo, you know, the hamlet. Um, and before Sandy... It was a very woody area that you could get to very easily just off of Ocean Parkway. So it really became a killing field. So this this killing field, as you descriptively call it, 
Why wasn't it something that the local police were handling? Why did the FBI have to get involved? So in a lot of cases where there are serial killers, and this is not just for Suffolk County or, or Long Island, this is nationwide or even worldwide, um, if there's a serial killer um, and there's the need of some of the resources of the FBI, um, local law enforcement can ask for our assistance and we can come in and do that. And especially where there are serial killers, we are brought into that. Um, in this case, we were kind of brought in, but then we were stopped from helping them. Um, and it became, a, you know, almost a political back and forth with the Suffolk County law enforcement at that time um, because of some other things that were going on in Suffolk County. So um, this is, a, let me ask you, Rich, it's a very important theme you're bringing up about how People don't realize to the extent the government and law enforcement that there is internal strife sometimes that could impede the investigation and the results of an investigation. Can you just kind of sidetrack for a second here and just explain a little bit about that? Sure. So in, in a lot of cases, you'll have federal cases and then you'll have non-federal, local, state law enforcement or prosecution cases. Um if it's federal cases, the FBI will come in and, and, and do an investigation or other federal agencies will do the investigation. And sometimes we work with local law enforcement on it because it happens in their jurisdiction. So we might have a case here in New York City. And while it's an FBI federal case, we'll have NYPD working with us on a case. The opposite can be true, but only if the FBI is invited in. So if it's a local case like a homicide. Homicides are not federal cases unless there's some other crime associated with it. So a serial killing is actually not a federal crime. It's a local state you know, investigation. So we have to be asked, and there is a method for this, where local law enforcement will say, hey, FBI, because of your reach, your labs, your um, uh, um, behavioral scientists, your negotiators, whatever it is, we want you to come in and help us work on this case. So it sounds like there are times when the expertise of the FBI will come in to help. But is it also sometimes the locals are just screwing things up? Well, it is. And in this case, I will not actually say that they were screwing it up, but they were not working forward in the case. You know, You're being very nice. Uh, well, because I, I, I don't know what was actually going on because we weren't told. Right. But what happened was that they were not moving forward. And they would say FBI, you know, for the press, they would say, oh, we've invited the FBI in. But then they would never give us any of the information. They would never let us talk to anyone. They wouldn't give us witness stuff. They wouldn't give us um, uh, uh, stuff that we could bring to the lab, you know. And also there's a lot of data analytics that we could have gotten and used um, uh, some of the FBI resources and, and analysts on. And that did not happen. Until so that's, now. Right. Got it. So that's unfortunate also for the families of the victims who are relying on the law enforcement to work together, assuming that they're going to achieve, you know, an outcome that's going to be at least giving them some comfort of what, what went on here. Tell us a little bit about the victims. So um, the, the victims, at least the four that are associated with the killer that has been identified, Rex, okay? Um, those three of them have been charged and one has been identified as being associated with the case. So they didn't have enough probable cause yet to make the arrest on that one, but they believe he also killed that fourth woman. All of them were prostitutes. They all worked either in the New York City and or Suffolk County area, from what we know. Were they living in this area? Yes, yeah. They were, I believe one was in New York City, but I believe several were out in, in, in Long Island. And they came across 
you know, the defendant Rex or the subject Rex, uh, um, during his, um, uh, his, um, killing spree. And, and the other thing I want to say is these four have been identified. The other six that were in the field, you can't say that they are part of the Rex serial killing, but you can't say they're not. You know, they really don't know what's, you know, who killed them yet. The other thing is, and this, the way I kind of explain it is, you know, you've got these four identified bodies that are believed to be killed by this subject. We don't know if there were four before them or four after them or or more than that. You know, just because we have these four doesn't right. mean we, 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 we got them at the beginning right. or we got them at the end. Right. And so, therefore, law enforcement, they're not even close to ending this case. Right. You know, the way I've described it is, you know, we're now in the meat of the investigation. We're right in the middle. So, so that brings up a question, Rich. How did this guy get away with this? How do they all get away with it? You know, he's got, he lives a double life, it seems like. And, you know, I, I'm not a psychologist, psychoanalyst. You know, um, I've taken some, some of the classes because I was a hostage negotiator, but I don't know the, the. This guy's got some background. Hostage <laughs> negotiation, uh, catching serial killers. Uh, well, I didn't cap- capture them. I, 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 I will say that that was ca- they were captured after me. But you wait know, a minute, you did catch somebody though. Who did you catch? The guy uh, from the uh, Tom Hanks movie. Oh, the pirate. The pirate. The pirate. Yeah, I was part of. I led the team that when we went overseas to 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 get the pirate, and and I have worked other cases. I've worked organized crime cases. I've worked uh, terrorism cases. Uh, financial cases and, and some negotiations. But that pirate, that was the Somali. That was the movie we said. Captain now, Phillips. Uh, uh, captain Phillips. When he said, I am the captain. I am the captain. Yeah. Exactly. Our, you know, and we, we kind of joked around, Arr, you know, you know, like the, you know, from, uh, from, you know, one of the pirate movies. Um, and that was a great case too. And, you know, we worked with the Navy on that, you know, on that case, uh, with NCIS. Um, it wasn't just FBI, but it was a great case. And, and, um, the, that captain is still in jail. So right. it was good. It was, he pled guilty. He was a good case. Wasn't. So. so back to this guy, Rex, uh, Huberman. Yeah. So he, he, for, for over a decade, this guy was committing at least four murders, may, maybe more. Mm-hmm. And, um, no, no one really was able to determine that it was him doing it. They weren't doing surveillance on him. Is, is that right? Yeah. In fact, um, from what I understand, and again, this, you know, a lot of this is public knowledge now. In fact, most of it is. Um, you know, we did the investigation and it, it, they were being investigated from when the bodies were identified, which I think it was 2010. Okay. And, um, you know, people, uh, investigators had worked on it uh, from that point on. Again, I was there during like the 2014, 2013 time period. Um, and uh, the DA of Suffolk and the um, chief of department of Suffolk, uh, both, you know, they didn't invite us in well. In other words, they didn't, you know, they didn't want to coordinate with us for other reasons, not associated with this case. Both of them have been convicted and both, uh, uh, the chief of department has done five years in jail and the DA is currently in jail. So you're saying that the, the, the chief prosecutor in the county where these murders occurred and the chief police official in the county where these murders occurred are now in jail? Well, the chief of department, uh, John, uh, I mean, uh, J- James Burke, uh, is currently out. He did five years, but he went in and it was unrelated to this case, no, I know. but he did go in and, and, and do five years. And 
currently the DA, again, for different charges, is in jail. And he's, I think, in there for at least a couple more years. So during this time that we're talking about, there was a lot of contention with the FBI okay, and, and the federal yeah. law enforcement. Yeah. So they're out. And then a new DA comes in and he starts the process of trying to bring back the task force. Um, and he does some, some work, but it doesn't, you know, it didn't move forward too much, but there was some work. There was a new, um, uh, a police commissioner who came in and they started that process of trying to get the, the ball, you know, rolling and working on this case. Um, but I will say when, um, the current DA, Ray Tierney came in, um, he, this became one of his major focuses and he, he established a task force and it was FBI, the DA's office, the police force, the New York State Troopers, uh, Nassau County DA, Nassau County Police, other agencies were all put into this task force, and they were given the job of finding, you know, who did it. And within months, Rex's name came up on the screen. It was, oh, by the way, it was actually a New York State Trooper who actually saw the name for the first time. So what's the moral of the story there? That it, you know... And I come from a task force, and you know that. I, I was on the Joint Terrorism Task Force for most of my career. Um, and and I, I love the FBI. I think the FBI is the premier federal law enforcement agency. I'll stand up for it and stand behind it, you know, till the day I die. But a task force brings to the table so much more because it actually brings all the um, uh, the attributes of those agencies the authorities of those agencies and the investigative knowledge of those agencies and puts them all together. So sharing information, communication, uh, leads, following up on leads, resources, resources. Gotcha. You know, when, if, if I do a case and I'm going to go to the airport, I can't do searches without search warrants. Customs and Border Protection or ICE, DHS, under certain circumstances, they can do searches without because they're doing border searches. So if we can use their authority sometimes, they can do stuff that we can't do. IRS can do things that we can't do. FBI, we can do certain things that they can't do. So you bring them all together. Gotcha. So it sounds like part of the moral here is that moral of the story, this guy got away with it in some part because of the disunity between law enforcement agencies. He was out there most likely longer than he should have been. If, if they had worked together, and again, listen, you know, things change, you know, better technology, um, better databases, all that actually went into it too. But if all these agencies were able to work together now, the way, you know, uh, I mean, you know, five years ago, seven years ago, gotcha. you know, you know, maybe they would have caught him earlier. And again, we don't know what he's done in the last seven years. You know, I get it. So it's uh, it's fascinating, and and it's a uh, appreciated that you share all this insight with us. Let's uh, pivot to something a little less uh, gory, if you will, to talk a little bit about uh, what's now uh, seems to be on everyone's tongue, which is artificial intelligence, AI, mm -hmm. and uh, how this is impacting society, and how uh, people uh, should should look at it. Um, and be circumspect uh, when they're when they're uh, kind of figuring out if they should get involved with AI. So the AI scam, where scammers are using family members' voices to trick people into giving them money. Uh, tell us a little bit about that and how we can protect ourselves from these types of scams. Yeah. So I mean, these scams 
at a lesser degree have been going on for years. You know, you remember the Nigerian email scams that everyone got? This is the, 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 the growth of that. That it's grown out of that. So what we now have is you'll have the bad guys and they could be anywhere in the world. They could be in the next building over or they could be in Russia. They could be in Iran, China, South America. We have no idea. What they'll do is they will either through your social media or through, um, uh, getting into your emails, your texts, some method, they'll find a way to get your voice. Okay? They'll listen to the show. You know, they'll get your voice. And they'll put it into an algorithm. Just one second. Point of information. Please do not hack into our <laughs> podcast to steal my voice to try and scam someone. My wife is on to it. She, she knows my voice very well, so please don't do that. Okay. Please, go ahead. So they will take your voice, and what they'll do is they'll put it into an algorithm. Mm. that is now in a computer. And it used to be that they would just try to put voices in the background. So they would call, instead of calling you, they would call um, your great aunt and say, Robert's been uh, either he's in a terrible accident, he's being arrested, or he's been hurt. And you need to send money right away. You need to go down to the 7-Eleven or you need to go to, you know, one of those other wire services and send money right away. And I talked to somebody about two months ago about this, a, a cop, and he almost did this exact wow. same thing. He almost went down to the Seven Eleven and was going to send about five thousand dollars. Wow! Because he thought his kid was in, in trouble. Really? So now they think that you're injured, and they called the great aunt and they say he's in a hospital, and they've started to do work, but the hospital is being real. They're being a pain because they don't they don't take his insurance, and they need five thousand dollars at least to get you know to 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 do more than just the life saving stuff, mm-hmm. and so. Your great aunt, who doesn't know any better, will go, oh, that's terrible. And she'll send the money. Or she may say, well, I have to talk to, I have to talk to, you know, Robert before I send the money. I have to talk to him. So what they'll do is they'll then go into that computer that has your voice on it and they will actually type in something and have it said. Wow. And it's, it's so good. And if you put in background and crackling noises, it will sound like you. And so even though you're, great aunt or your wife knows your voice in in a panic in a heightened situation they may not realize right away that this is a you know an algorithm and so that is what's going on and and people are getting suckered into it all the time and and when i say suckered it's it's not kind of their fault it's 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 so good it's believable and so um like i said this cop uh very detective he was told that his son was arrested on some terrible charges and they needed to, um, he needed to send money down, um, for, uh, bail because they were, it's a small town in Florida. They're going to let him out, you know, blah, 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 you yeah. know. Um, but he had to send the money right away and it had come actually into the grandfather and the grandfather was calling now the father who's the cop. And so he's, he's driving to 7 Eleven and while he's driving, he goes, you know what? Before I do this, let me call Johnny and see if he's, you know, how bad this is. Because Johnny doesn't pick up the first time, calls him again, picks up. Johnny was asleep in his dorm room. He goes, what are you, why are you calling me? I was out last night and it was nothing. nothing. Wow. But that saved him $5,000. Yeah. No, that's an excellent example. 
And, uh, you know, people just need to be, you know, I guess, conscious of these scams now. This is the, the like you said, it's an outgrowth of the Nigerian uh, letter scam. Yeah. And, and the way, <clears throat> there are some ways you can protect against it. One is, um, you can have a code word. You know, if something is like that, you just have a code word. Second, if you get that, you, you can at least, while you're doing all that, you know, everyone's got two phones in their house where they've got, you know, the, the house phone and the, and while this is going on here, you call the the person's number. Now you have to be careful of that because if they've hacked into the person's phone, they may actually be somehow they, they may have been able to get the number, but you still do that. That's a way that you can check on it. Another way is to do a FaceTime because they can't do the, the you know, we're not there yet where they can take your image and do that. So if you at least get to FaceTime them and you see, you know, it's Johnny holding it up while he's in bed, you know, and the, you know, 14 beer cans behind him, you kind of know he's still, he's okay. Um, and so there are certain things that you can do to make sure that, um, if this happens, you know, you know, maybe verify. it did not happen. Trust, yeah. but verify. Trust, but verify. Start the process, right. you know, going of doing what you need to, to help the person. Uh, but try to find a way to verify. Another good way is if you know any of their, um, neighbors, just, you know, call up the neighbor and say, Hey, can you go check on them? Right. Wow. Great advice, Rich. Really appreciate that. This has been a uh, very fascinating uh, episode. We're uh, winding down on time here, but, uh, you know, the, the message is really on, on both of these matters seems to be trust, but verify. And so thank you, Rich. Cheers to you and all the hard work you've done for this country and continue to do. And thank you all. We'll uh, see you at the next episode. Take care.